Okay. Um, this is the Fantasy Book Discussion Group. This is July 21st, 2013, and we are discussing A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lengel. And our uh, fearless leader is here, but there's something wrong with her microphone, so she can't speak. So, um, any comments that she wants to make, I guess I'll have to translate or something. Because um, they don't, they, well, they show up sort of in the recording, but if you're just using the MP3 file, they won't show up. So, anyway, um, and we're very glad to have a new member. David is here, Lana is here, I'm here, and so is Julia, and, um, well, let's see, uh, A Wrinkle in Time, it's a classic, it's a Newbery Award winner, um, those of you who don't know, the Newbery Award is given on a yearly basis by, I don't know, I think it's the ALA or somebody a National Library Association, whatever, uh, for extraordinary books for children. And so um, we are, um, let's see, other historical things I can say. Um, It is the first in a trilogy of very excellent books. And there are several other books that are semi-related to the uh, the the Wrinkle in Time trilogy. Uh, Madeline Lingle try, uh, tends to um, relate her books together, which is a good thing. Um, but it can be a little dicey if you don't know who's who and what's what's happening. But A Wrinkle in Time is the is the sort of beginning of of everything. So, all right. Um, I'm going to ask everyone to give their comments on A Wrinkle in Time and um, what did you think of it? Had you read it before? Um, Well, no, that's two questions. All right. First of all, what did you think of it? Well, I thought it was a fun reread. I'd forgotten a lot that was in it. I'd forgotten how deep some parts of it went. I have a lot of interesting memories associated with it, a funny situation which I may or may not go into later. It isn't pertinent to this part of it. But I enjoyed it. One thing about it, she did give all that family tree stuff at the beginning, but one thing, although her books are related, you don't really have to have read everything. It's not like um, the Jordan series uh, or even the Good Kind series where it really helps to have read the earlier books uh, because they do have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, the Wind and the Door, you could read it without having read A Wrinkle in Time, although it's more fun if you have. And A Swiftly Tilting Planet, you kind of have to take a minute to know who's who, but but the story itself is independent, and that's one of the things I like about her writing. Okay, I'm back. I hope I can be heard now. You certainly can. Glad you could. Great. You sound, you're coming in clearly. Okay, that's good, and... Hi, David. I'm glad you could make it to the meeting. I'm curious what happened. My mic was muted. Happens to all of us. Yeah, I really enjoyed rereading it again. I read it in junior high, and that was back when I didn't like to read very much, and I remember I had to do a book report on it, and yeah, I got a C-, which kind of sucked. 
it was quite a quite a deep book. There was a lot of um, interesting parts. Do you want me to go ahead now? Yeah, you um, said some very interesting things on our email discussion. Something about some sort of philosophy? I'm trying to remember exactly now. I'll say first, this is probably my second time to come. The first time was the Iron Druid Chronicles, and I was able to get my hands on the fourth one, four and a half, and five. I won't talk about that now. They're all good, but if you read so many of them, they'll start running together, but they're fun. But let's get on to A Wrinkle in Time. As Lana said, it was an excellent reading. Characters are always doctors and scientists. They have deep philosophical discussions. I can remember in one of the Austin's books, one met, one discussed something about Neoplatonism. I hadn't even known what that was until I read her. Her people play French horns. They live and interact at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. This book, I think, is, is interesting. I'm reading it very fast, and it's, it's, like I said, an interesting book. I don't completely understand what a tesseract is, but in 1962, this must have been mind-blowingly unusual. A Newbery Award winner, very unusual. Some of the previous ones were historic fiction, things like Caddy Woodlawn, things like uh, A Door in the Wall, uh, things like I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. Uh, something, wait, something about guns for rifles for Wadi. It was about the Civil War. So she really broke the mold, if I'm not mistaken, on some of these Newbery Honor books. About Newbery, uh, when I was in college, I was my some of the group I ran with were L ed, elementary education uh, students who were going to teach elementary ed, and they had a class called Kitty Lit, and um, children's literature, but it was Kid Lit. And this was one of the books they had to read. And they were all so excited about it. And we got together one Saturday afternoon in my room, because, of course, I didn't have it in an accessible format back in 1608 or whenever it was. And so we all sat around there. Two or three of them changed reading the books. And we all read Wrinkle in Time together. And it was so much fun. We had popcorn. We had took a break now and then. It took from the early afternoon until late at night. But there's so many good memories associated with that book for me. Well, I never got a copy either until much much later and all my friends were reading it at the time this was back in 1962 or 63 you know when it came out and um, I remember my very good friend Gretchen um, read the book to me out loud in several sessions but she spent time and read it to to me um, and we shared it together it was it was a great experience so yeah, um, I think it is. It is. Um, you're right. It was a definite break for uh, the Newbury people to choose such a book, as opposed to, um, you know, uh, Island of the Blue Dolphins or um, Call It Courage or you know Caddy Woodlawn, any of the others. Um, but. Uh, you know, it, it, because of the breakthrough, we got things like uh, Tuck Everlasting and, and um, some of the others. Um, I, I think it was uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I think that was one of the... It may have been a runner-up, but I think it was it was in the running, at least. Um, and so it, it's really... Um, but the, the thing I appreciated about it, reading it as an adult is the um that there really is depth to the um 
to the writing. It's very much akin to the Harry Potter books in that if you read the books as an adult, you see what's happening. You, you understand it on a deeper level. And, you know, for a child, it's just, you know, it's a scary tale, or it could be. But, um, and the other thing I like about it is that she takes some of the mythical references, which is part of fantasy, of course, and she has the the three, the three witches or the three fates or the, you know, um, Norns, if you will, um, who, uh, you know, are, are, um, are part of this whole thing, and, and I just find them charming. I really do. I would add, and I'm impressed, you certainly know your Newberry books. I happen to like Island of the Blue Dolphin. Scott O'Dell was a fabulous writer. Um, what I was going to say is, I wonder if there's, I'm sure on the, on the web somewhere is a list of all the Mrs. Who quotes. That alone would run kids, work their minds. They would see names like Goethe and Dante, which and Cervantes, which they might actually wonder, well, what is this? Maybe I should look up the name, and it might make them think, oh, all these writers from Spain and Italy and Germany. Well, it wasn't Germany then, but you know what I mean. I wanted to add, though, I don't like the Madeleine Bizarre narration. When I read it the first time, it was on cassette, and I haven't run on to NLS dot, you know, uh, loc.gov slash NLS to see who the narrator was, but I don't like this narration as much. I remember fondly the other narration. I wish they had been able to recycle it and not have it reread. Ha! Well, no wonder you remember her narration. You would. It was Terry Hayes Sales. That's why you remember. Oh, wow. Well, I used to think Madeline Bizarre was wonderful. I've really gotten irritated with her because she always sounds kind of whiny or high-pitched. Now, I didn't think it was as bad with this book as some of the Debbie McComber I've read, uh, where she just seems to be, I don't know, I have to turn my tone down as far as I can, muffler as much as I can, because she does seem to... But I used to think she was such a great reader, and, and I'm not I'm not nearly as impressed by her, and you're right about Terry Hayes Sales. She was... Uh, she and Dale Carter and some of those others were in a class by themselves. I think Dale Carter was a little brittle. She was interesting, though. I'm sorry, my mic got my finger moved. Dale Carter is good. I just read something called Voyage to Santa Fe by Janice Hope Giles, and it reminded me of Dale Carter. Her voice was a little different. I think what you're noticing about the narrator might be when we listen to these things on digital, I think it changes their voices just a bit differently than the cassette. I know the big debate back in the day when CDs came out was whether rock musicians and different singers found that the tones weren't as warm, that singers like Celine Dion with those high, brittle soprano voices did much better in the digital CD medium. So maybe we're getting some of that on these narrators. I found that Mitzi Friedlander and Laura Generelli sometimes sound like they have a cold. You didn't hear Mitzi Friedlander in the early, early, early days. I used to have to scrape the syrup out of my needle uh, when we... In, in her early books, and she improved so much over the years. She's still not one of my favorite readers, but as far as having seen a reader progress uh, to someone quite impressive, uh, 
uh, she has really progressed. One thing about Dale Carter is, and it was nice on cassette, you always had to speed her up because she took so long to say anything. I'm not, I'm not sure what her accent was, but a friend of mine said when they first heard her read, she sounded Southern, and then her voice changed. And I would say with Mitzi, I had heard she was an opera singer, and what I remember when she was younger, her voice sounded like it was full, you say syrup, it sounded like it was full of champagne bubbles to me, almost too much. She read a lot of children's book early on, and I remember for when I read, um, oh, what was that, The Witches of Karos, I was so surprised that she could be so dramatic and so scary for the, for the villain. Um, and I thought, that's Mitzi Friedlander, and that was when I began to see her advance. Uh, Dale Carter also did a pretty good Irish on, on the Cliffs of Night. She does a very good, of course, the Cliffs of Night. Boo-hoo isn't available anymore, because um, that was back in the early 70s. But she uh, she did a wonderful job reading that book. I'm, I'm, as they bring books, books back, I hope they bring... By the way, did you get you guys get my message about Jassy? You know, I said I always read the end, and that was the book that taught me to always brace myself, make make sure the end comes out right well it's up there now um when you said your message about jassy does the fantasy group have its own list because um i don't recall that i know i saw jassy i just read a nora loft's book today pargeters but i didn't like it she killed off too many people with suicide to get them out of the way jassy i think i read years ago i want to read hester rune again she's an interesting writer she's been dead since 83 and she's from another era and it shows but the books, because they're historical to me, are still good, mostly. And it's funny, when I read one recently, The Old Priory, it had two or three different narrators alternating the male and female sections of the book, and L.S. barely ever did that. Uh, Jassy is not a fantasy book. I always, everybody here gripes at me, because I always say I always read the ending. And Jassy is the one, I, I had found a lot of books that didn't end the way I liked them. But this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back because in the last chap chapter, a character shows up that you've never seen before and she poisons the old guy that would have died anyway and then the woman would have inherited it and she and the guy could have had the land and yada yada. Uh, but she, the little dippy girl who wasn't too bright uh, poisons him and then they end up, they both get hanged. It's funny, I know we'd better get back on to A Wrinkle in Time, but it's funny, Nora Lofts did that in Partridge. She had one of the main characters use poison to kill off someone. I, I wonder how her, her writing must be a bit repetitive. I mean, she obviously was one of the historic British writers in the mold of Victoria Holt, and we could probably start a historic fiction group if Bob Acosta would let us and meet once every other month or something. That would be fun. But sometimes the books can be repetitive and predictable. As far as this wrinkle in time, I was reading it with the sense of wondering if anything in that setting would have told me that it was 1962. And so far, I, I'm where they, they're looking at it, the big brain thing. And there were these big mainframe computers. That's about the only thing that gives it away that it's not now. Yeah, I noticed the, the big frame computers, and of course nobody had any you know, any iPhones or they didn't research on the on their own computers. There were no personal computers or anything like that. And I think that was probably the only thing because there wasn't much about how the house worked or cars or something. It was mostly in the house and the yard and them walking around. And, and there really wasn't anything to, to tell us about the... Uh, and the brain, by the way, did anybody think of that hideous strength? I hadn't thought of that before, but when the thing turned out to be the big brain, remember the head in that hideous strength? That, that's kind of interesting. Yes. Um, it's, it's, yeah. It's, uh, it reminds me of that, too. Yeah. 
I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. Um, the only other indication that you have is is that uh, there is a um, there is a similarity, and um, um, what was I? Uh, the the only other uh, well, yeah, you can tell that it's that it's actually um, the '60s is because. You know the the kids are concerned about um, you know fitting in and all that, and although teenagers are concerned about that all the time, but you know the the uh, oh I think there's music mentioned and um, books mentioned that they're they're reading and so forth and and uh, yeah you can you can sort of tell it's it's set in the in the 60s. Um, but it, it is kind of a, a combination of um, science and fantasy. So it's it's a it's kind of one of those borderline books that that straddles the uh, straddles the two genres because I think that a tesseract is actually a scientific fact. Um, you know, it, it is possible. You know, it's in the realm of theory, but it is it is a possibility. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the three, uh, W's, the, the three witches are the, you know, Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's it, and Mrs. Uh, Witch, um, you know, they're, they're a very much mythology, mythological characters, but I just like the, the, um, I find Lengel's, Lengel's main characters in her books just delightful because they're so, wholesome they they really are they're they're very wholesome characters and um david mentioned the austin books and i i love those characters because i would like to take you know i would i would see myself sitting at the austin's table and eating spaghetti and and uh meat sauce and whatever and uh enjoying myself thoroughly um because they're they're so real and they're so wholesome, I, I think that's one of the the pluses of Lengel's Lengel's writing. I I agree with you there. I will also say, and it's a strength and a weakness to me. Her her characters, you know, the kids are all smart. They're all either artistic. I remember one was a blind girl who played piano, and it was either in. Um, uh, Dragons on the Waters, or The Young Unicorns. I can't remember. Her name was Emily, and I, I think she's also in another book, but I can't remember because sometimes the books get all tangled in my head. And they're all smart. They're all clever. They're all the kinds of people you want to be friends with because they would want you to do interesting things with them, and it would never be boring. They would all want to sit around playing Trivial Pursuit or Monopoly, not watching junk on TV. And you know, or they would want to all go to a concert, and they sound like such nice people. I did want to ask to get off subject just a tiny bit. What was the book you were referencing about a big head? I must have been a previous fantasy that I missed. And lastly, I'll say, if you talk about fantasy and science mixed, the Eric Van Lustbader series that begins with Ring of Five Dragons comes to mind. It's set on a planet. They have sorcerers, and they have scientists and spaceships. It's one of those hybrid things that is really a kind of strange kind of genre. Um, the book we were referencing is uh, C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength, um, which we read recently, or I read recently, reread recently. Um, 
because I saw it come up on uh, Audible, and I I had to get it because I I I'd missed my about every three years rereading it. Um, it's one of my absolute favorite books, and um, you know I don't know if you're a C.S. Lewis fan at all, but uh, that was the book we were we were referencing. In the book, uh, David, they had taken the head of a at that time in France they beheaded murderers this was probably it was written in 48 or 50 or something and this scientific group had preserved the head and they communicated with basically the powers of the power of darkness through this head and in one scene you go into this room and this brain has gotten so much bigger than the skull and it's boiling out and it's uh, of course it's not really the original occupant of the head that's speaking to them but that that huge oversized voluminous brain is just kind of straight out of that and that is another case of, 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 of science and magic and what C.S. Lewis the worst thing would be if people ever got together and what would happen if people combined science with magic and that's basically the uh, the situation that he's dealing with this with this scientific institute in, in that hideous strength. We talked about doing it, but we never did. We, we went on to something else instead. Judith Merkel Riley sort of does that in some of her historic fiction books, such as The Oracle Glass. She's interesting, but I guess you might have to call her historic fantasy. That's still fantasy. By the way, as far as historical, I don't think of Victoria Holt as that historical. She's, you know, gothic romance and so on, but in her Philippa Carr, and I don't know who the original Victoria Holt really was, I think that was probably a made-up name, but Jean Platy, Philippa Carr, Victoria Holt, they're all one person. But in her Philippa Carr, she's a little bit more historical, and of course, as Jean Platy, she writes accounts of historical women. I, I always like Jean Platy's sort of royalty. It kind of makes them seem real, and I don't know how accurate they are, because I've read stuff by David Starkey, who's written stuff about um, Henry VIII and his wives, and it's a bit different when he tells it, but he's interesting as well. It's nonfiction with him. Um, as far as Victoria Holt, I, you're right, I think it's all those gothic things like Manfreya in the morning, and um, there were the two famous books, The Queen's Confession and My Enemy the Queen, and I believe... Um, I'm trying to remember if there was no the Queen's favorites was was Jean Platy. I believe the author's name was Eleanor Burford Hibbing, and she wrote under three, four, or maybe five uh, pseudonyms. And if she wrote as much as all these pseudonyms would have you, if you added them all up, the woman must have cranked a book out every three months. Not quite Barbara Cortland, but probably longer and with a bit more depth. Though again, maybe they were formulaic. The Victoria Holt ones were, the, the Jean Platy were basically, if you wanted a more explicit, shall we say, Victoria Holt, you got uh, Philippa Carr and Jean Platy. Now, I didn't read too much Jean Platy because when you're writing about historical characters, you're you're stuck with what really happened to them in history and are not that many happy endings in history. And I think I mentioned my attitude about that. Yeah, you've, you've let us know about that. But, uh, uh, Julia, you got any comments? Yeah, Jean Platy. I've read several Jean Platy books. They seem to be accurate for their time. I don't know if they've discovered more information. They're sort of kind of formulaic, but I don't think they're as bad as the Victoria Holtz because it seems like people are often walking in gardens and, and sewing the women. I don't know how much variety there was back in the medieval Plantagenet uh, era, but and they're always beautiful women, and so I don't know how much of that is actual history and how much of that is sort of well I don't know um, my impression of Jean Platy was that she 
had done her research pretty well and um, you know that she did a very good job um, as far as gothics go um, there's nobody that can match Mary Stewart and I liked her stuff and I also like her later Arthuriana stuff as well um, but her earlier uh, you know gothics were great I like those but um, anything else about A Wrinkle in Time? Um, Julia, comments about A Wrinkle in Time? Anybody? David mentioned the, Dave mentioned the characters and how they were so smart. And yet they have their problems. You know, Meg is so, I don't fit in, I want to fit in, and I, everything I do is wrong. I mean, it sounded so like a teenager, you know, when she got in trouble with the principal and, and she wasn't popular in school and people were always asking her, you know, making fun of her because her father had left. And so we have a little bit of a, of a pseudo uh, single parent. Divorce, you know, divorce situation, which of course it wasn't, but everybody thought he'd run off and deserted her. And her problems in the school and in her life until all of this starts happening are so real for a teenager, and yet she got so deep into all this other stuff. It was kind of amazing how she could take somebody who was such a real, even though she was very smart. Um, and and uh, today, of course, she would really wouldn't have fit in because of her books and her musical interest. But you know, that's. But she really was very. She had very real concerns and real problems. Yeah, I liked all the characters. They were very well developed, and it seemed like she'd done a lot of um, work in developing developing them before she started to write the series. And the only thing I didn't. Um, Sandy and Dennis, the twins, I guess we didn't really get too much on them. They didn't seem to be quite as precocious as uh, Meg and Charles Wallace. They were just sort of average. But then again, they didn't really play a big part in the story. I don't know if they play a part later on in the series. but They will. The book is called Many Waters. It's the fourth one, and they appear there. Okay. Um, all right. Any of, uh, I've, here I'm taking over your, your whole thing here, Julia. Um, I'm sorry. I Maybe I shouldn't say, but uh, any other comments on A Wrinkle in Time? Dave mentioned the, and you and also but mentioned the Tesseract and the reality of it. I can understand a Mobius strip. I've seen one. I made one. Friend made of mine. Whatever. And and they, they are they are really squirrely things. And, and they're, by the way, as a science fiction story about somebody whose universe is a, is a Mobius strip. But that's beside the point. Um, I never got even the what the Klein bottle looked like, so I never got to the Tesseract and what it could possibly, the, with the image in my mind, it's just totally not there. Well, I, uh, I remember the description that was in A Wrinkle in Time, and that if you took your, if you were wearing a skirt and you held it in both hands uh, so that the material was flat, and then if you brought your two hands together so that you formed a wrinkle in the skirt that would be like a tesseract that one could go um, instead of going across the wrinkle all the way you know slowly you would you would cross the wrinkle in no time at all does that does that make sense that part I got but the forming where you go up from one dimension to another to another that part loses me how you how you create in your mind the image of the tesseract because uh, yeah the wrinkle part that that's that's old science fiction stuff um but the um 
uh, Terry Goodkind does a real neat version too. He takes a piece of paper, puts a blot of ink on one side, folds a piece of paper. When he unfolds it, there's a blot of ink on the other side, which is another cool way of describing it. But um, the the you know you could do the the Mobius strip. Okay, you twist it, that that I get. And then the Klein bottle, you're doing it with three dimensions, and somehow you you've you've twisted a bottle somehow. And then you go to the fourth and the fifth, and and I, what you accomplish, the wrinkle, the, the thing you accomplish with the Tesseract, I get. But the image of the Tesseract itself is totally not there. I don't think you can have an image of a Tesseract. I believe it's just a four-dimensional four, four cube. But I don't think you can vi envision one. At least I can't. Oh, hi. But don't you have to, didn't they have to in order to make it happen? Didn't they have to do this image in their mind? I don't know. It's been so long since I read the book. I've forgotten. The wrinkle in time is the wrinkle is is the best way of explaining how to do how they did their transporting. I don't know why she called it a tesseract. There was another book, science fiction book about. Well, it was a story actually called And He Built a Crooked House. And I don't remember who it was about, about a guy architect in California that built a tesseract. Um, in three dimensions, and it collapsed into four, into the fourth dimension. And all of the weird effects that it had. I can describe it to you if you took, took a kid's block, then made a layer, glued four kids' blocks together in a plane, and put that on top of the first block, and then put another block on top of the layer. That's what a tesseract would look like in three dimensions, but it would be unfolded. It wouldn't be a true tesseract, if that makes any sense. Yeah, the, I get the block image real well. By the way, that was Heinlein, and they ended up, uh, they fell through the window and ended up in the Joshua, they thought they were on an alien planet, and they were in the Joshua Tree National Forest in California. That was funny. <laughs> I don't think I've read that one, but uh, that sounds that sounds good. I always uh, kind of related um, Lengel's Tesseract to uh, McCaffrey's Between with the Dragons. Uh, very much the same kind of of uh, kind of thing but uh, uh, I don't know maybe I'm wrong but I kind of related those two things together they were somewhat similar in my mind absolutely but the how you get there is what that's where the tesseract come in because it came in because you can't just imagine a wrinkle a wrinkle is what they did with it but it, it's kind of like to open a door you need the you need the knob or to to unlock a door you need a key and the tesseract was the key and it maybe that's you know why we can't wrinkle around in time and space because we can't in our own minds create the image of a tesseract that's possible that's possible um well uh all right uh Julia, you still there? Do you want to continue with this this meeting? I mean, I you know, we hope you're, you're still there. Yeah, I'm still here. I've been listening to everyone, and no, I didn't get the Tesseract image either. I didn't even get the block image because I don't know what a plane is. But um, I don't know if anyone else has any other 
comments about Wrinkle in Time or if we want to move on to discussing the next book for next month. I was thinking we could maybe do The Hobbit and stick to classics, or do we want to go back to other fantasy books that aren't necessarily classics? I'm going to, real quick, before I get cut off, my computer's about to do an unauthorized restart. Uh, a plane, Julia, would be the flat side of a piece of paper. I mean, the piece of paper is in two dimensions. But if you, oh, but if you, and the other thing I'm going to say is, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to disappear probably without notice. Yeah, she's gone, um, but she's right. A plane would be a flat, uh, would be like a piece of paper, you know, or the, the surface on the top of a table. That's a plane. Uh, you know what a line is, and then the next dimension is a plane because you have two dimensions. You have the vertical and the horizontal. And then three dimensions would be a cube, you know, like a cube of sugar or, or a block. And then four dimensions would be time. And then five dimensions would be this tesseract thing. But don't ask me to explain it any more than that, because I passed geometry by the skin of my teeth. And <laughs> so uh, don't ask me about geometry. I, uh, I don't. I don't do math. Well, you, thank you. That sort of kind of clarifies it. Of course, I only took the first three chapters of geometry, which is probably why that didn't make any sense. But uh, anyway, um, are we all out of wrinkle comments, or do we have a couple more? Uh, Julia, there is that book called Flatland which I don't know if it's available anymore. I've never read it. it sounds like a very frustrating book. But it's somebody who exists in the universe that is a line, and somehow he gets transported to the to the two-dimensional and the three-dimensional and the four-dimensional, and I think he comes back and goes insane or something. I, I've never read it, but it's it's supposed to be something of a classic. Oh. Well, that sounds interesting, except for the insane part. That could be traumatic. But um, what does... Well, Hmm, first of all, can we even find it anywhere? I'm not recommending it, but it is an oldie. It's probably on Bookshare, if, in, if no place else. But I, as I say, I'm not recommending it. I think that's Edward Albee, but I could be wrong. Uh, I think Albee comes to mind for some reason. But I, as I say, it could be wrong. I have to go look it up. But, um... Yeah, and then then there were all those kids' books about Flat Stanley. <laughs> I read one one book of those, and they they were kind of funny. I don't know if you guys have read any Flat Stanley books, but uh, they were quite popular about five years ago. They were back in the day too, in the seventies and eighties. The mother mails Stanley, and I think some guy went on TV. He had some project, uh, they mailed this letter to different classes or something. By the way, Anne, before I get cut off, uh, a Crooked House is not a novel. It's, it's, it would be in a short story series, not by itself. So I don't know how you'd find it. Well, uh, look for Heinlein space, quote, Crooked House, unquote. That's what I'd do if I were going to do that. But, um, Okay. Well, uh, Julia wants to know what we want to do for next month. Um, she is suggesting The Hobbit because it's a classic, and we could do that. I haven't reread The Hobbit in a while. Um, that might be kind of fun. Uh, anybody else have any suggestions? 
we do seem to be getting, well, like Dave is new, we get a few new people and a little more lively discussion on some of these classics than we were doing there for a while. David, any suggestions? Um, no, I'm not sure about The Hobbit, but I'm not thinking of anything that's popping into my head, a good fantasy book. So many are in series that I, I can't think. I mean, David Eddings is always good, but God, all of that, that's four different series, and take, ooh, geez, I wouldn't know which one to read. And um, I don't know, I know... Peter Hamilton just came out with something called Great North Road, but that's more science fiction than fantasy. And um, I wish we could find a good urban fantasy or a fantasy where somebody gets knocked into the fantasy world. Joel Rosenberg, I think his name was, did something like that, The Silver Crown. But they kind of got aggravating after a while, and it was it's too many books in a series sometimes. Our habit in the past is pick the first book of a series, and then if you wanted to read more of it, you could. Uh, he his he, he has a couple that are good. Um, uh, the uh, Silverstein or Silverstone, but that's the second or third one. Uh, also, um, is it Will Shatterly with the Elsewhere series, where suddenly fairy comes into existence on top of Earth, and you have certain places where people can go and certain places they can't go, and it's it, it's kind of like you know we woke up one morning and our worlds were mixed. Oh, that sounds like quite the fun read. That kind of does. I was thinking of Laurel K. Hamilton, but she aggravated me. The books were things like Kiss of Shadows, something about Twilight, and after book number three or four, they switched the provocative names, and it would be like Frost's something or Mistral's something. They they ruined that series, and I don't do her vampire stuff, so this one you just mentioned might be a good one. If we wanted to do vampire, vampire romance, Heather Graham has quite a few Kiss of Shadows and uh, some others that are fairly independent. They're, again, related, but each story is fairly related. And she has some good fantasy, if you like the more romantic fantasy, without being quite as hard-nosed and utterly, utterly explicit. Laurel Hamilton gets a little much. She forgets to write a good story and focuses on the explicit explicivity of it, if you gather my meaning which a certain amount of that's fine but you want story yes you do want story um and if you guys want to read a vampire book that is absolutely fine but don't count on me to show up because i don't do vampires i uh i've read one or two and you know that's enough for me i i am uh and if you don't want to do, do a vampire book, there's too much fantasy out there. Let's don't do a vampire book. That's simple. Well, don't do it because of me. I mean, I just happen to have uh, certain books that I, I just don't prefer to read. Uh, I can't think of anything. Um, oh, I've, I've got several that are on my TBR list, but they're all books starting series. I've got something called The Anvil of Ice, and I've got something else called The the Dragon Bone Chair, which is Tad Williams, which is supposed to be very good, but it's the start of a series. And I don't know. I have all these books, but they're start of series books. Um, so, uh, well, hey, you know, maybe doing The Hobbit for August would be a good thing because it's, it's August, a lot of people are on vacation, it's a short book, it isn't going to take too long to read. I think it's what, six hours or something? Um, it was ten sides on cassette or nine sides, whatever. Um, so it's not too awfully long. 
that's up to you guys, but uh, um, what do you think? I'll go for The Hobbit. I'm in the middle of a very long science fiction book, and I may give up before the end. We did Green Rider a long time ago, and I have downloaded, but I haven't quite nerved myself for the 25 or 29 or however many hour. I think it's called The Haven or something. It's the fourth book in the Green Rider series. I haven't nerved myself to read that, particularly since I checked the ending, and it's not the end of the series. It ends, leaves in her a very difficult place, so you know there's going to be another book. But I'm not really ready to take on 24 or 25 hours. Uh, by the way, An Anvil of Ice, that's a good series. There's only three of them, so they don't go on forever and ever, so that's kind of cool. And um, something, too, you know, we were talking a little bit about classics. They've got some Andre Norton's turn up, and they, they had key to key of the key to the Keplians or someone it's in her witch world but someone comes into that world so it's a fairly independent story it helps if you know about the witch world but since it's from a point of view of someone from earth um, from our reality I should say it's kind of like she's getting used to this place and um, so it's a it's a kind of good and it isn't it's Andre Norton and somebody else who isn't quite so screamingly Norton it's pretty good I'm not rec I'm not necessarily recommending it because I think we're all going to go for the Hobbit but I just wanted to point out that you know if you're looking for fantasy books that sort of stand on their own and that was something that came up recently on the Bard list it's not a bad book that actually sounds rather interesting what did you say its name was that we, maybe we ought to read it key to the keplians or key of the keplians it's in the new books list it's still up you know within a two within three or four days um but it has key of the keplians as a a horse-like creature that have have always been known for being very fierce and of course she makes friends with them and so on it's you know if you're a horse nut it's kind of cool uh, uh, but i don't know how to spell anything but it's in if you go into the new look new books you know and you, you do a word search for the word key you'll find it and it's it's andre norton and lynn mcconkey i think is the other writer so like i say it's not quite so norton might be good um i just remembered i just finished two um related books but they're not in a series has anybody read uh, the Monica Furlong books? Um, the first one is Juniper, spelled just like the tree, and um, it's about a, a young girl growing up, and uh, she is sent away to this uh, fierce relative who is a an herbalist, you know, kind of thing, and it's it concentrates on, um, I guess you could say it's a it's a uh, a book related to, um, uh, well, Wiccan, if you will, or paganism, but it's it's it has to do with magic in the sense of telepathy and and that kind of thing. It's not a, a, a fantasy book with an underline. I mean, but it's a it was a very good book, um, and it wasn't too long. But whatever you guys want to do. Um, and if y'all want to go and, and take part in issues facing blind people, you, you probably want to go to the other classroom in case anybody else has come in here. You want to go to the classroom, not the book nook. Um, but, uh, uh, The Hobbit sounds good. What do you think? That's fine. I'll see y'all in August then.
What day? Third Sunday of the it's always third Sunday of the month. Don't ask me the date. I haven't gotten my system for that worked up for August, but it's the it's always the third Sunday of the month. And I think that's a hobbit's good for for August because you know we're all still kind of and we're getting more response when we do these familiar books. I think that's good. That is good. I think you're right. We we um maybe we should we should stick to familiar books for a while and then gather more people and then uh, then branch out. That sounds like a good thing. Uh, Julia, is that a right you? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it is. Lena and David left, so, yeah, it's fine. Okay. Sounds good. Um, I'm glad you got your microphone fixed. Good meeting, um, and we'll see you whenever, whenever, let's see, 4th, 11th, I think it's the 18th, but I have to check the calendar. Um, I think that's what it is. August 18th, does that sound right? Yeah, that does. So we are reading The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, and the meeting for next month is on August 18th.